Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, ask any farmer. It doesn't matter what the prices of your grains and oil seeds are if you don't have any crop left to sell. The short supplies have meant record commodity prices. Neil Townsend of FarmLink Marketing Solutions says there is going to be low numbers on canola, wheat and barley, you name it. But he will share his thoughts on what that will mean for prices heading into the winter and what he projects to be the peak prices. An outspoken advocate and dedicated researcher on innovations and agriculture has been named the 2021 Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan champion. Dr. Stuart Smythe has been vocal on social media and outspoken about correcting misinformation about agriculture. Stuart will share why he feels so strongly about why we should all be speaking Speaking the truth about the industry and what he has shared with his students these past 15 years. After the break, Neil Townsend. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Unprecedented. I think that's uh, a description a lot of people are using as far as the commodity markets uh, heading into this winter. We'll get more information as far as uh, final production numbers from Statistics Canada. But uh, Neil Townsend with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. Uh, Let's talk about uh, some of the major crops right now. And I guess demand still remains strong for spring wheat uh, with production down right across North America and Russia? I think the outlook's pretty good for wheat. Uh, You know, the the bottom line is that uh, Canada and the U.S. had short crops of key wheat categories like spring wheat, white wheat, and durum wheat. And the other uh, country that also had sort of some, you know, a drag on their yield was Russia. And when you combine that, it just means that sort of the harder, better quality wheat is in shorter supply. And uh, that's going to really uh, keep prices high. And even overall wheat, if we start talking about, you know, Ukraine, the European Union and all those other countries, like they had OK crops. But I mean, it, the demand is strong enough that there's a deficit between demand and supply in terms of exportable surpluses. So optimistic on wheat prices. One challenge to get through will be uh a big Australian crop, but actually a higher proportion of the Australian crop is already sold, a lot of it to China. So, uh, you know, that kind of uh, mitigates uh, how much damage they'll do in other markets around the world in terms of dropping the price. So if you had to put a number on it, what would the farm gate price be, for example, in Saskatchewan this winter? Well, I think we're going to be selling uh, the bulk of the wheat at uh, prices above $11.00. Uh, you know, it's going to vary a little bit, and, and we did get some sort of unfortunate, you know, lack of support, say, from the U.S. corn S&D because the yield there was going up. But again, I, I still think that wheat's going to be strong throughout the years, and, and the likelihood of us trading, say, below 10 is less likely than us trading uh, closer to 12. So I think there's, on, on a balance of probabilities, there's more upside than downside. But again, things are highly variable. And uh, one thing I would say is that, it, you know, right now with every product that's being sold, it's marketing under conditions of extreme uncertainty. I mean, there's a lot of uh, issues with uh, energy costs, with, uh, you know, logistics, with uh, finding labor to drive trucks or to stock shelves, all those kinds of things. So, I mean, you know, we can, we can talk about prices sort of in isolation, but I mean, we should expect to see... Uh, you know, lots of uncertainty and and a lot of volatility as we go forward with all prices. 
When do you anticipate then that wheat prices will peak? Well, I mean, wheat prices tend to have, uh, you know, once we sort of digest, the world digests the Australian crop and then focuses on the fact that there's no supply recharge really until, you know, the winter wheat crops uh, start to get harvested in later summer. So I I think that the prices are going to peak sort of uh, in the December period once and then uh, sort of towards the end of the year, there's a potential for them to go higher and even much higher if there's uh, concerns about key crops such as the Russian winter wheat crop or or even if we have run into trouble with the North American winter wheat crop or there's planting problems or drought situations in North America. Once again, we'd see the local basis in in. Uh, North America really uh, react to concerns about the 2022 crop. Moving on to uh, canola, um, are you continuing to be optimistic with that particular crop? Canola is certainly part of the broader, bigger oilseed complex, and there's two divergent forces going on in the oilseed complex. One is that soybeans look to be a little bit more abundant. Uh, they're bigger crop coming in the U.S. than maybe was expected, um, a lot of optimism about the potential for the Brazilian crop. Keep in mind that one is just getting planted and is a long way away from harvest, so a lot can go on there. And then China has been relatively quiet, although in the last few weeks they've really started, in days even, they've started to perk up and it looks like uh, you know bigger uh, quantities of beans are going to be traded from the U.S. into China than you know, it'd been re- relatively sluggish in September there. But the other thing, though, is just the broader oilseed market continues to show really, really strong signs of growth and strong signs of demand. Uh, we've seen record palm oil prices. So canola is well supported. And then, of course, canola, we've had just, you know, a disastrous crop in Canada overall. Very small. And, you know, we're talking 13 million tons when, you know, domestic usage for crush is like, it wants to be 11 million tons, can't be this year, but, you know, it's, it's a very strong. So that leaves very little exportable surplus. And I don't think most of the customers are aware that, you know, they're aware of a drought, but they're not aware that they are the customer that's going to be eliminated from contention. Obviously, China remains somewhat murky in terms of their policy, in terms of their demand and all that. But, yeah, I, just the main thing is that there's more demand than there is physical Canadian canola supply. So prices are going to be well supported. And again, I think like, you know, there's a stronger likelihood of trading at $28 a bushel than there is at $16 a bushel. So, you know, we're, we've got strong prices now, but I don't see any particular reason to start to sell. Uh, we're not selling. And I, I just think prices have to go higher. That's a fair jump. Yeah, I mean, I, I will clarify. I'm not saying that necessarily our target price is 28. I just meant that like it has a stronger chance of trading at 28 than at trading at 16. Well, we're seeing some very high prices, but what is your prediction for where those prices will reach? If I had to get to say a price that we have in mind, it would be like uh, t- you know between 24 and 25 dollars. We think we'll we'll trade meaningful amounts of canola in those prices. Again, we're reevaluating each and every day, but right now those are some of the prices that we think should be available for canola. We have to digest sort of the U.S. soybean crop and we have to get through sort of a little bit of canola that the Australians have to sell. But, you know, there's just, it's incontrovertible. There's more demand than there is supply in Canada. We need to kill more demand off. All right. And uh, tell us about your outlook for pulse crops. Well, you know, the pulse crops are, are very interesting as well obviously damaged by drought. So, you know, smaller pea crop, smaller lentil crop. 
Demand has been pretty good. Uh, pulses have also been, you know, extremely impacted by um, the logistical problem. So anything that goes in a container is going to be, you know, fighting to get containers and fighting to have that type of access to, to markets. But, you know, demand seems to be very solid. And I mean, again, we have to kill off demand because we just simply don't have the supplies available for for all the customers who might want it. And supplies continue to be tough for Durham. Tell us uh, about your outlook for that particular crop. Well, yeah, Durham is is, is one of our tighter S&Ds, and it's one of the tighter supply and demand balances around the world. We get a double sort of advantage in Canada. One is that the U.S. had a very, very small crop, so that's going to increase their import demand while simultaneously reducing their export potential. And, you know, again, one of the question marks would be like a country like, you know, Algeria or Tunisia, like, you know, they they prefer Durham, but, you know, they're cost sensitive in some ways. But, you know, again, Durham has got that support in the fact that, you know, obviously it's much, much more expensive than than wheat, but wheat has been accelerating in price as well. So it's not necessarily as big of a discount as it might otherwise be. So we've seen actually like the demand from these places still remain, you know, relatively strong and uh, and very little competition in the export market for Canada. So, you know, there's just, again, it's, it's one of those markets that unless people absolutely stop eating durums, stop wanting to eat pasta or couscous or whatever, or try to f- make an alternative recipe that doesn't use uh, semolina or durum, I mean, you know, there's more open demand and, and, little Durham in Canada to satisfy the demand and exports have been remarkably strong to start the year. So, you know, we've already exported uh, over 20% of what we expect to export in the whole year. And I mean, this is not usually the case early in October, right? Uh, you know, this is where we're just ramping up and we sold probably more as well. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. And again, I think Durham prices are in close to $20 right now. And, and we would be looking for Durham prices 22 plus, 23 plus to probably move tangible amounts. Neil Townsend is an analyst with FarmLink Marketing Solutions. After the break, my conversation with the Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan champion for 2021, University of Saskatchewan professor, Dr. Stuart Smythe. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. A University of Saskatchewan associate professor has received the 2021 Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan Champion Award. Uh, Stuart Smythe uh, teaches at the university and he certainly isn't afraid to mix it up on social media. So Stuart, uh, you've taken on a few individuals who have been spreading misinformation about agriculture and food production. Typically, if they're blatantly stating something that, that I've seen evidence that refutes that, I'll take them to the carpet and say, no, here, you know, here's the evidence, here's what the regulators have assessed. Expert scientists have looked at the risks and said that these are safe products or safe technologies for the environment and for humans. And, and I'll push back against people that, that try to deliberately mislead the public because they're doing it to raise money and I'm, I'm doing it to try and better inform the public. Now, I'm assuming that these Twitter discussions can get heated at times? Uh, yeah, I've been sworn at, and I think I've had one or two death threats in the last three or four years. But uh, 
I treat that as a good thing because I know I've upset their propaganda and the public can see the fact that, you know, here's someone spreading misinformation, they're being called out, and as was said today, that scientists and academics and farmers have high levels of trust, and so I, I believe that a lot of the public looks at the communication coming from me and they see the evidence that I provide, and, and it helps them make better decisions. I think that a lot of the public still are comforted by the fact that Farmers are still very much hands-on involved in agriculture. They, you know, it might be their experience of going to a farmer's market in the city to buy vegetables in the summertime or, you know, buy jam or, or pies or, the, you know, any of the types of products that are available at farmer's markets. So they can interact and, and get to know the, the farmers or ask questions and get that face-to-face answer. So I think that's a big part of, of what helps reassure the public that farmers do care about the environment and and they are taking efforts to be more sustainable. Now we've seen footage of farmers who are desperately trying to save animals during those devastating floods in BC. Do you think video of farmers risking their lives trying to save their cattle influences the public as well? I think it does, and I, th- I, you know, I think it shows how important livestock, whether they're chickens or turkeys or, or dairy cows or horses, um, are really are. And you know, the interesting thing is, we see PETA, uh, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, complaining about a lot of things, but I haven't seen one social media story from PETA saying how they've been out there working to help rescue animals. So so isn't it ironic that it's the actual farmers involved in the production of dairy products and, and meat products that are the ones saving the animals and the, the animal activists are nowhere to be seen. Now you teach at the university's College of Agriculture and Bioresources. What message do you give to your students and what do you hear from them when you're having conversations about agriculture? The comments coming from them is that they're, you know, people they know are uncertain about the role of chemicals in in the control of weeds or insects, the use of of antibiotics or growth hormones in in cattle. And so I think the students, they have a bit of a sense as to what to say. And so what I do in a lot of my classes is to try to provide bits of information to them through the peer review process of of academic and and scientific research to, to nudge them in that direction saying, well, you know, Here's a little bit of evidence, give it some personal value, and and that goes a long way to building trust with consumers. So this award was presented uh, in connection to the Cultivating Trust Conference that's put on by Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan each year. There was also um, an honorable mention award presented to a grade four student, Maddie Adamson. Now, she's very active on Twitter and uh, has a lot of videos uh, with learning about ag with Maddie. She she really does a wonderful job talking about agriculture and sharing information, and that's what it's all about. She, she's fantastic. I haven't seen all of her videos, but I've seen a lot of them, and, and she just does. It's so heartfelt. You can see that that she's really passionate about her family's farm and about explaining why their farm does the things they do. And I, I think it's, you know, she's a role model for agriculture for the next 30 years. You can see that she puts a lot of thought into this and her, she gets some, some help recording things. But I've seen her at a variety of, you know, uh, appearing at a variety of events. And certainly I think that resonates well with the public when they, they see 
young individuals at her level getting involved in this and they realized how farming is truly a, a family event that it's not just the adults going out and doing this but you know really once you're old enough to tell the difference between a plant and a weed if you grew up on a farm you were involved in in the business. Stuart Smythe is the 2021 Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan champion. This is the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of November 22, 2021. CP and CN Rail reopened their main lines to the Port of Vancouver. The company said the lines would resume operations slowly, starting with a maximum speed of 10 miles per hour, as those repaired sections are monitored to ensure integrity and safety. At this point, there is no date set for the resumption of normal speeds. Alberto Wheat said in a report that between CN and CP, there are approximately 5,000 rail cars sitting in the Vancouver corridor. In addition, a week's worth of rail traffic is loaded and waiting to move west to the Prairie region. Wheat exports through the port of Prince Rupert have been able to continue during the outage. Canadian Federation of Agriculture's president wrote a letter to the Prime Minister regarding the flooding in B.C. Mary Robinson said they're asking the government to make sure that animal feed is given priority once routes into B.C. by road and rail are opened. She also asked the government to quickly trigger agro-recovery. The flooding forced many farmers to evacuate with their animals and abandon their food and water supply. And this has created a massive feed crisis for the region, which could have long-term consequences for animal health and the food supply. An analyst with Markets Farm says canola crushers are still highly motivated to buy, even though the price of seed has reached record levels following an extensive drought in Western Canada. Mike Jubinville said downstream users like food processors have multi-year contracts with crushers and regardless of crush margins, they have to fulfill those contracts. In some cases, there will be negative crush margins for a period of time and that has happened in the past. Jubinville estimates Canadian canola crush will be 9.4 million tonnes, less than the 10 million plus in the past couple of years. But the big decline will be in canola exports. The forecast is below half of the usual 10 million tons. Canola ending stocks will be at the bare minimum of approximately 650,000 tons. Statistics Canada will release its final crop estimates on December 3rd, and Jubinville expects the last estimate of 12.8 million tons will likely be reduced. A new partnership has been created to advance fermentation processing in Western Canada. The new project hopes to strengthen the use and understanding of fermentation in ingredient and food processing. The Saskatchewan Food Industry Development Centre, the University of Saskatchewan, the Global Agri-Food Advancement Partnership and AgWest Bio are combining expertise to create a new training program at the food centre. Livestock Services of Saskatchewan reported investigating the sizable disappearance of cattle. Sometime between October 15th and November 5th, 24 red Angus cows and another 20 calves disappeared in Pontex, which is in the southwest part of the province. Operations Manager Garth Wood said it is a reality that livestock tend to disappear for a variety of reasons, including theft, rustling or harboring of strays. Wood says the cattle are branded with an overflying wing pointing down on their right hip, and they all have red tags. Anyone with information is asked to contact Livestock Services or the RCMP.
If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarland, and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.